Hello and welcome to The Rundown, a podcast from Politics Home. I'm your host, Alan Tolhurst, and this week we're looking at the plans to finally ban the controversial practice of conversion therapy, after previous attempts to legislate against it have repeatedly hit the buffers. Joining me to discuss why campaigners say outlawing it is so needed, why proposals have stalled so far, I'm delighted to say alongside me is Alicia Kearns, Tory MP and Chair of the Foreign Affairs Committee, along with Amy Roche, Interim CEO of Gallup, the anti-LGBT abuse charity, as well as Zoe Crowther, my colleague and junior political reporter here at Politics Home. So Aaron, I'm going to start with you. Just first of all, explain kind of what is conversion therapy, what we mean when we say conversion therapy and why kind of people like your charity is so damaging and, and why you want to see it outlawed, really. So so-called conversion therapy is any form of abuse which has the aim of trying to suppress, cure or change someone's orientation or gender identity. It forms a pattern of abuse. It's not a one-off event. It's an ongoing pattern of abusive behaviour. And it can include a whole range of different things. It can include things like physical abuse, uh, emotional abuse, sexual violence, corrective rape, things like that. So it's, it spans this whole range of different forms of abuse and violence, but with a very particular purpose, which is to change suppress or cure someone's orientation mm. or gender identity. We at Gallup talk about conversion practices because actually I think the term conversion therapy makes you think about a very specific type of abuse, which is that there is that therapy. Um, yeah. But actually what we know is that it can take many different forms and it looks very different. And so, so we tend to use the term conversion practices. We have done research that has found that one in five LGBT plus people have experienced conversion practices. And that is even even more so for certain members of the LGBT plus community. So it found that 43% of trans people had been subjected to it and around a third of non-binary people had as well. So this is significant. It is happening right now and it is having a, a huge impact on those people mm-hmm. that are subjected to it. Yeah. So Alicia, as I, as I mentioned, it's been pushed around by, by various governments over the past few years. It's, mm-hmm. It looked like it was going to be brought forward under Theresa May and then it's been kind of rolled back. Rishi Sunak talked about bringing it forward again, but it's kind of stalled. As an MP, how did you become kind of involved in this campaign and what have you been kind of pushing for within within Parliament for it? Yeah. People always want me to kind of say that, you know, my brother was put through it or my cousin or my best friend or something like that. But I mean, call me old fashioned, I believe that everyone has the right to be protected by government and that's the government's foremost duty. I believe that LGBT people should be allowed to live their lives freely without state interference, without all of us telling them how or how they cannot live their lives. And essentially, I have so many LGBT friends who had been through something along this lines or threatened with it. Practices is absolutely the right term to use because when people say therapies, it sounds like it's taking place in some kind of accredited safe place with a yellow yeah. sofa and some pink cushions and, you know, water being offered um, with some, I guess, some kind of background music. And so it's just, I fundamentally believe it's wrong. You know, conversion practices are about normally somebody in a position of trust subverting or trying to alter your gender identity or sexuality to such a degree that mental harm is inevitable and too often there is also physical harm. Mm. And we have said as politicians that mental health has parity with physical health. So the idea that there are people walking around our streets being told that there is something wrong with them, that they need to be corrected, that there is an evil inside of them, I just cannot believe in our day and age we still have these practices going on. Yeah. So you've reported for Paul Home on this for a while now. Where kind of are we in terms of what's what's been put forward? A bill to put this forward was not in the King's speech last November, which has mm. kind of made suggestions that it's not going to be put forward in this parliament, essentially. Kind of where are we now on it? 
Yeah, so like you say, it's been a long road over the last few years. And while many people were hoping and expecting it would be in the King's speech, it was not. So where we're at now is that Labour MP Lloyd Russell Moyle has put forward a private member's bill, which has the support across the House from multiple MPs, including nine Conservative MPs, including Alicia yourself. Who presented, who presented the bill at first reading. Yes, I did, which I'm December. sure caused some controversy why is a Conservative MP presenting a Labour MP's bill. But it's about showing that across the House, actually, the will of Parliament yeah, is yeah, to yeah. ban this. Yes, and Lloyd has managed to get his private member's bill quite high up in the list, which therefore means it's fairly likely that it's going to be going to a vote in Parliament in the spring. Yeah, It's quite common that private member's bills don't actually get... Yeah put forward into legislation. But obviously what it does do is put even more pressure on the government. If it comes to a vote in Parliament, then obviously that will be a huge crunch point for mm. the legislation that many people have been calling for for many, many years. Yeah, it's, it's going to be back on Friday the 2nd of first March. 1st of March. 1st of March, oh, first of March. March. Yep. And so obviously it's, it's despite all the... Yeah, yeah, it's going to be tricky. You have to do some some whipping to get to get MPs there. But it, a it's, a, it's a chance for MPs to actually have a vote on it because despite all of this talk and through you know, succession of, of Prime Ministers, MPs have never actually no. had a vote on it and to show the will of the House in terms of, of banning it. Obviously, there's a lot of public support for it. But that's kind of the important thing about this bill is that even if it doesn't, as most backbench bills, doesn't end up on the, on the statute books, is it a chance to really show, you know, the government that this is the strength of feeling within Parliament for it? I desperately want it to be that big moment where yeah. Parliament rises up and says you must ban conversion therapies. But the challenge is that it is a sitting Friday. Now, for most people listening, they might go, well, what do you mean? Friday is a working day. <laughs> Friday is a working day, but it's the day where MPs go back to their constituencies. Yeah. And we have back-to-back meetings all day long, normally really tough surgeries with constituents in trouble, might visit some businesses, some schools, you know, go and see some people who, for example, have had their houses flooded to see how you can support them. So the vast majority, and I mean 90 to 95% of MPs, we're back in their constituencies. So our job is to make sure that we get as many of them as possible to commit to staying in London, mm -hmm. which again is difficult when, you know, I don't see my kids, you know, four nights a week already. That's an additional night of not seeing them. But this matters to me, so I'm going to be there. But the other problem is, as my team would say, my diary gets booked up six months in advance. So we had to clear a whole day of meetings so I could be there. So it's a difficult one because there'll be some MPs who feel like, look, it took me six months to get a visit to a hospital booked in. I can't cancel it. <clears throat> yeah. There'll be some who'll take it as an opportunity not to be there, which will be for them be easier to abdicate the kind of responsibility to have a say on it. But also there will be MPs who come specifically to talk it out and to try and stop it because we have to realise the antis on this bill are so well organised and they really feel it is their right to make sure that this continues. Yeah, and we'll come on to kind of the, the, those MPs who are, who've been critical of, of the moves, but just, just talk us through kind of where we are sort of outside of Parliament. And there's lots of healthcare organisations that have been pushing to have this outlawed. And I think a lot of healthcare bodies have, have taken a, a memorandum to say they're not going to pursue it. So where does this kind of happen? As you talked about, it's not just kind of therapy. It's not people sort of sat on a therapist's couch being you know, told not to be gay or whatever. Where does it kind of exist and where does it happen, essentially? Our research has found that about half of people that are subjected to conversion practices experience it from a family member, but actually it can also look look different as well. So a lot of people that we support have been subjected to abuse from the wider community as well, and that might be within a faith setting, hmm. but equally that isn't necessarily the case. So again, I think there is a lot of misconceptions that conversion practices are always to do within a, a faith context yeah. but that is that is not what we're seeing within our within mm. our services yeah there's definitely a lot, a lot of the the public criticism of of banning it comes from things like evangelical groups and that sort of stuff there's a feeling i suppose that it comes to down to christianity but actually you think it's it's more wider than that 
Yeah, and I, I think the, the really important bit that we need to remember is that we should be having able to have conversations about our orientations, about our gender identities with our families, with our communities, and it's okay to have those discussions. Conversion practices kick in when there is a predetermined outcome yeah. to that. Yeah. And that's the bit that we, we need to hold on to and the bit that we see within our within our services. So we run the National Conversion Therapy Helpline. And from the first day we opened that helpline, we started receiving calls. And that has increased as the consultation has taken place, as there is more debate and more, more discussions and conversion therapy becomes more understood. We are seeing those numbers increase and increase. Mm. Within our advocacy service, we see particularly young people are incredibly high risk of harm and abuse and violence. We see young people who are being abducted and taken um, to other countries. We are seeing people who are being forced into marriage. We are seeing incredibly high levels of abuse and violence against the community. And every day that this continues, that this ban is not put in place, more and more people are being harmed. Mm. Also, sometimes people sometimes forget also, at every level, this is fraud. There is no scientific therapeutic or medical evidence that you could de-gay someone or you can stop someone being trans. So even on the most basic level, this is fraud yeah, yeah. and people are profiting. Yeah. So people often forget that a lot of the people providing these services, you know, the concoctions and poisons they want people to swallow to de-gay them. They are making a lot of financial profits on this. So these really are charlatans who are literally profiting off the backs of misery. Yeah. One of the, the bits that Amy mentioned earlier was there's the impact that it's having on, on trans communities as well as mm. the LGBT community it feels that that's been part of the sticking point really is that the ban from from the government kind of stalled on on that aspect of it there's some conservative piece that suggested that that includes trans conversion practices risks criminalizing you know, parents or, or doctors if they question a young person it, could just talk us through kind of where we are in terms of, of that stuff at the moment yeah so it certainly has increasingly been seen a little bit as part of the whole kind of culture war yeah. debate you know, Kemi Badenoch, who's the current Women and Equalities um, Secretary of State, she came into that role in 2022 and has been subject to criticism from various campaigners on her stance on some of these issues. I think it was just in December that Badenoch said that gender affirming care for trans people could be in itself considered a new form of conversion therapy, yeah. which was met with much anger from many LGBT people, trans people and campaign groups. And I think particularly tensions around the topic have really been, I guess, gaining momentum since the shutting down of the Tavistock Gender Identity Clinic and, and lots of the issues around that. And the row between the Scottish government and the Westminster government exactly. over gender reform yes. stuff as well. And it's all, I guess, come to a little bit of a head in the last couple of years. In 2022, we saw Mike Freer stand down from his equalities minister position, kind of citing that he felt that a hostile environment had been created for LGBT mm. people by the government. Only last year at Conservative Party conference, Andrew Boff, part of the London Assembly, interrupted then Home Secretary Suella Braverman's speech saying that, you know, she was again creating a toxic environment. And I did also speak to him afterwards and he kind of said that he felt that in the current government's operations, they weren't necessarily speaking to and involving LGBT groups in mm. the way that he would hope, particularly LGBT conservative Yeah, the whole, groups. The, 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 the sort of LGBT advisory board along exactly. the quid, didn't they, in 2021, I saw you, you nodding your head at some of that, that, that kind of stuff there. Alicia, is there this kind of war on woke, essentially, which whatever that means, it feels as though a lot of this stuff is being dragged into it and actually the, the conversion therapy ban, which shouldn't be really 
no. pulled as part of any of this is getting dragged into it and that's part of the, the, the blockage that we're seeing in Parliament. So I'm really angry at the way that some politicians and people outside politics have weaponised a bill that I have worked on since the first day I came into Parliament for their own political gain. That yeah. is why they're doing it. But also those who are biased and have prejudices. So I think look, so when it comes to religion, you know, none of us are trying to police private prayer. You know, I would say go away and read the bill that we have drafted, guys. Also the idea that this is going to impinge on religious freedoms. Why do we have the leader of every major just mainstream religion in this country, even the Baptists, backing it and saying that we need to bring in this ban. They don't want to see their churches or places of faith prosecuting this. And then when it comes to gender identity, they found all sorts of reasons to say, well, they couldn't back it. You know, what is a definition of gender identity? We don't want to see that in a bit. Well, that's not happening now anyway. All the arguments they made were straw men. And essentially, what we are all saying we are opposed to is one directional talking therapies that are often conducted by quacks and ungraded places. Of course you want children to have challenging conversations. If my son told me that he thought he was trans and he should be a girl, I would want him to go somewhere where he could have a safe but structured, challenging conversation to understand if that really was right for him, what would happen and what was needed. I wouldn't want him to go to either someone who tells me there's absolutely no such thing as sex, there's no such thing as gender, you can be a rabbit tomorrow if you want and a cat the next day and you're a hippy-dippy lunatic. But I also would absolutely not want my son going to a place that tells him you must only be a man, this is what being a man looks like. These people are degenerates who want to you know, live their lives and erode our society and it's all wokeism. It is not. Mm. How can we not recognise that our children deserve better and the current level of dialogue in Parliament is not what trans people or gay people deserve? Yeah, you tweeted, I think, November last year saying to the MPs who believe in conversion therapy and don't accept it's inherently abusive, say it, own that you believe LGBT people can be converted. So people got really angry about that. There are MPs who have told me that their pastors have told them that conversion therapy works and that gay people should be given the support to be converted back to being happy straight people because the is you can't be happy if you are a sinful, defective, you know, evil infected person and that there is something wrong with who you are and the way you feel. And yet these are the MPs who run around saying that they're standing up against wokery, they're standing up for religious freedoms. No, you are not. You are, I'm afraid you're a bigot and you are wrapping up your own personal religious beliefs and imposing on other people. Mm. Amy, you're saying like the longer this goes on, the more people get dragged into these kind of practices. And do you feel that the attempts by the, I think there's a Stop Conversion Therapy Coalition of, of groups who are trying to get this banned, this idea that's suggesting that transgender medical care could be seen as a form of conversion practice is really just kind of a, of a straw man that's, that's holding back a much wider piece of legislation which could deal with much wider issues, really. Yeah, those things are, are not related. This kind of broad kind of focus on, on trans people and trans rights is is doing such harm to the community. We need to look at this ban for what it is, which is a really, really important piece of legislation that will stop harm being done to our communities. And it needs to include the whole LGBT plus community. We at Gallup some time ago were working with um, some siblings who were both being subjected to the same conversion practices. One was gay and one was trans. And if the whole community isn't included, they would have been in the scenario where one of them was protected under the law and one wasn't. They were experiencing exactly the, the same, same thing, types yeah. of harms. A ban needs to include the whole community and it needs to make sure that there are not those loopholes that allow harm to continue. Hmm. People often want to present it as the rights of one group being protected over the rights of others. You know, religious liberty is a fundamental within our country. We all believe in protecting the right of every single person to be able to prosecute and pursue their own religious beliefs. Everyone wants to protect conversations between religious leaders and their flocks. But I would say, go away and read this bill. We are not 
not going to be cracking down those conversations. We're not going to be tacking down on private prayer and we're not going to be prosecuting parents for having conversations with their children. This is a very clearly defined, limited and exceptionally well-drafted bill. And there has been so much consultation. What's really great is the amount of MPs who are now turning around to us and saying, do you know what? I've read it. You've made the changes I requested. I actually can't vote against this. Right. And that's good because they're recognising this can be done responsibly. We cannot just say what some people want to say, which is it's too difficult. We're saying it's then beyond our means. It is not. Mm. You know as well as anybody that the usual suspects, the Friday kind of awkward squad, uh, who sit on your benches, most of them, they have a... But who happily pass their own bills. Yes, absolutely. But just won't pass anyone else's. Yes, but they 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 know the practice as well. They know they can talk it out. And you need, I think you need 100 MPs, don't you, for a closer motion to have a vote if someone is willing to talk it out. So what chance do you think you've got of A, of, of, of persuading these people not to talk it out and B, getting 100 MPs to try and get it to a vote, to try and keep it moving, not let it kind of go on the scrap heap as so many backbench bills do? Well, I think that we all know who the regular suspects are. So I would say to their constituents, please raise your voices. I think it is a disgrace that those people talk out other people's bills, but don't talk out their own and use Fridays to pass their own bills. But if this doesn't go ahead, despite having drafted such a good bill, I have laid an amendment to the Criminal Justice Bill to recognise conversion therapy as self-harm. And I will push that to a vote. Yeah. So there will be further ways that we will continue to push this fight. Mm. I was just going to say as well that obviously all of this is coming against the backdrop that is going to be a general election year. And so much of the delays, a lot of what ministers have said about it is that, oh, yes, we will do it at some point. Like it is coming down the road, but there's limited parliamentary time or cynically, you could really look at the general election coming up and just think, how far up is this in the government's priorities right now? And I don't know what you make of that. Alicia, do do you feel like at all that the government is almost kicking the can down the road to allow, you know, if Labour come in to just say this problem is going to be something that the Labour government inherit and they can do with it what they wish? I think, unfortunately, it has fallen into that pile where people think it's a wedge issue. Mm. I don't think people vote for wedge issues. They vote for a vision of a country and they vote for economics and health almost fundamentally. Look, last January, I laid an amendment to the online harms bill. And I didn't push it to a vote because I was promised on the floor of the House by word. And I was also promised in writing to, into the House of Commons that they would bring forward a committee to look at this, to do pre-legislative scrutiny. And I didn't trust that it would happen in time. So I actually put a deadline that they had to complete it by the next King's speech. And they didn't do it. Yeah. So I have to say that on this personal issue, I feel I've been incredibly let down my, by my own party because promises were made on the floor mm. of the house and they were broken. Yeah. And I would like to think that when I make promises to my colleagues, I always hold them, uphold them. So I'm, I've felt very let down by that. And I think the risk of the election timing us out is, of course, a possibility. Yeah. And there's other colleagues as well on, on the other issues. Zoe and I were talking about the mental health bill and other things mm. like that that wasn't in the King's speech. And there's feeling that essentially like the kind of clear the barnacles off the boat strategy from the central government also means that lots of issues that people have been pushing are being squeezed out in favour of of the things they want to pursue in the run-up to an election. And don't get me wrong, you know, we've had two years where we weren't able to pass the legislation we wanted to. And the legislation we're passing at the moment is incredibly serious and heavyweight. You know, yesterday we voted to uplift benefits, to uplift pensions. And in the week we passed the fact that we were joining the CPTPP. You know, these are major pieces of legislation that are important. So it's not that we're seeing nonsensical wasting of parliamentary time, because I can tell you now I'm in parliament until... God knows what happens far too often. <laughs> so there is serious legislation being made, but I just, I, you know, the fact that pre-legislative scrutiny wasn't done when it could have been done without 
breaking away from parliamentary time, yeah. you know, that was really difficult. Amy, other countries, there are some countries that have kind of pushed ahead with it in, in recent years, quite a lot of, of Western countries mm. and within Europe as well. Has there been these sort of similar issues in those countries? What's the kind of international comparison, I suppose, in, in the, that perhaps you know, MPs are maybe on the fence could look to as to how this might work in practice? Yeah, you know, other countries have done this and, you know, have shown that this is not a, a big deal. I think that so much of the particular debates and culturals and the toxicity in, in the UK is, is having such an impact on bringing forward what is really a, a very straightforward and sensible piece of legislation. We are not seeing in places where there have been, where legislation has been passed, we are not seeing issues, we are not seeing problems. There are not people being wrongly criminalised for having those Parents conversations. Parents going to jail, which is what they always <laughs> love to say, and this bill would not allow to happen. In fact, the fact that Bill, I would actually just add on that point about going to jail, this bill puts fines in place. Right. So there's not even prison time being proposed, which some of us would like to see go further. But to get it through Parliament, we're saying unlimited bills. So you could see a fine of you know millions upon millions. But again, everything this bill has been drafted to allow us to pass it with the maximum support. We have made a lot of compromises on our side as yeah, well. Yeah. Is there stuff that you could point to and say, look, this is a kind of a similar sort of bill that hasn't led to those kind of, has it led to any prosecutions and stuff as well? Yeah, I mean, you know, I am not aware of any ridiculous prosecutions that have been happening across the world. There are lots of countries where this has happened. And I think also, you know, we have seen lots of other legislation around gender-based violence in this country that has garnered lots of debate and similar things like things around so-called honor-based violence you know these are conversations that we have had before where there have been the same arguments put forward and they just have not happened and the link with so-called honor-based violence things like co- uh, coercive control these are pieces of legislation that are so important have been developed as we increase our understanding of what gender-based violence looks like what harm looks like and that are have been absolutely vital in saving people's lives and protecting people this doesn't need to be a big deal or a big debate this is just a very important piece of legislation Mm. that will protect lgbt plus people from harm yeah we we talked earlier about whether you know this might be punted into the next parliament when we potentially have a a labor government keir starmer spoke this week at an lgbt plus labor event in parliament and said that you know his government would ban conversion therapy in all its kind of forms. I wonder what you made of kind of those those comments and those kind of maybe conversations that you're having with Labour in terms of what they're going to do if they, if they were to, to take over this role in, in Parliament in the future. I think what we've seen, you know, from, from this bill all the way through the, these conversations, there is cross parliament support for for this this is not kind of a one-party issue i think we have seen really really positive support from parties across the political spectrum there is a a really big push to make this happen everyone knows how important this is so i think whether it happens in this parliament or or in the next one (laughs) you know i think this will happen it has to happen it is so important yeah laurelie burt the lib dem peer is pushing a bill through the she's also got a bill through the lords as yeah. well so it's, so it's trying to so get it's it through it's a lords private members bill we've got a commons private members bill we've got my amendment to criminal justice bill <laughs> right. we're trying our best <laughs> yes yeah, so somebody give us a break the boulder is being pushed up the hill yes. uh, albeit slowly okay well, well just before we wrap up then you mentioned mike freer earlier just kind of a word on that he's obviously been a strong advocate on this stuff i think he wrote for paul home back in 2015 about 
he had a Westminster Hall debate about conversion therapy. Uh, he's announced he's going to stand down from from Parliament, sort of hounded out by a lot of the abuse that he's faced. I just wondered, you know, you're losing an ally, but and also, you know, and what it kind of means to see someone like that to, to be stepping down from Parliament. I mean, wouldn't it be a wonderful tribute if the government decided to back this bill? We're happy to make some amendments and did it in Mike's name because mm. yes, I have fought for this relentlessly since I came to Parliament 2019. But Mike and Stuart Andrew have been fighting for this long before I came. Yeah, and Diana um, Johnson as well was pushing for stuff yes, even before that um, as well. So essentially, I would love to. See see them do that but it's it's devastating to Mike Lee because he is someone of such integrity but he has worked so hard but in such a quiet way you know he really doesn't you know talk himself up and he's he's really a great guy so to see him leave not because he wants to yeah but because he feels that it is not safe for him and his partner we're losing not only a good man but a great LGBT MP he's fabulous and I'm, I'm really sad to see it yeah, happen. Zoe you interviewed him didn't you last year and, and he talked a bit about this kind of stuff that he's faced as well and Yes, yeah, 100%. And and obviously, he's stood down this week, kind of citing a lot of the abuse and kind of violent threats that he's received. My interview with him was specifically kind of around LGBT issues and looking at the anniversary of the Equality of Marriages Act. And as Alicia said, that was a campaign that he worked really hard on. But through the many, many years that he did, he was receiving death threats, he was receiving all kinds of um, abuse that no parliamentarian, no. no elected politician should be facing. So I imagine, you know, the decision that he's made this week is not just the recent months of abuse that he's been facing, but that's many, many years of sustained abuse and threats that many parliamentarians see, not yeah. just Mike. That's the same, just kind of last word to you then. That kind of shows, I suppose, the, the toxicity that happens when these kind of debates come up. Are you, are you confident, do you think, as you say, like maybe this parliament, maybe next parliament, are you kind of confident that, that together that kind of coalition of, of voices outside and within parliament will get to a point where this practice does get outlawed or there'll always be those kind of special interest groups who prevent it from, from getting to that point. Do you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm confident that this will happen. It's such an important piece of legislation and it will have such a huge impact on protecting a, a marginalized group within our community. That's all we've got time for this week, but you can read all the latest on the big stories from Westminster at politicshome.com and keep right up to date by subscribing to our seven day week newsletters or click on the link on our homepage. Thanks to our brilliant guests, Alicia Kearns and Amy Rush, along with my colleague Zoe Crowther. Thanks all again for listening. Please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. If you want to get in touch, then reach out to us on Twitter at Politics Home or email us via news at politicshome.com. But for now, I've been Alan Tolhurst and this has been The Rundown. <laughs>